0: Welcome to this verse by verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with assistant pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. We pray that you would instruct us through your word and Help us to not just remember it, but to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, wherever we are, Lord, whatever emotions we've come in here with or whatever problems we've come in here with, Lord, um, we, we pray, Lord, that you help us to get past those things, Lord, to set those things aside. We pray for your intervention. We pray for healing for those who need healing. Father, we pray for restoration where restoration is needed. And Lord, we pray for greater understanding for those who are seeking it. And Lord, I do personally pray for the gift of teaching, that you'll help me to rightly divide your word of truth. And so fill me afresh, I pray, with your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you will be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we are in 2 Samuel chapter 14, 2 Samuel chapter 14. And we do, as usual, have a title for the message, and the title is Forgiveness. Just one word, forgiveness. See, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, the previous chapter and the previous study, we've seen lust, we've seen rape, uh, we've seen emotional pain, we've seen anger, hatred, murder, fear, and we've seen a broken family. Now, of course, these things occurred due to Amnon's rape of his half sister Tamar, and then, of course, uh, due to Absalom's murder of Amnon, his half brother. But but in tonight, in chapter fourteen, we're going to see something else. We're going to see forgiveness. And then, of course, we want to see what God has for us in this study tonight because we don't just want to open up the Bible and read just for the sake of information to to show off how much knowledge we have. And so it's good to know, it's good to remember, it's good to understand, but better yet, of course, it's it's good to apply uh, what we see from the word of God. So with that being said, we want to look at 2 Samuel 14, and we want to begin at verse 1. And we do plan on going through the entire chapter tonight. Now In verse 1, it says, So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and that's David's sister, he perceived that the king's heart was concerned about or longed for Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa, And he brought from there a wise woman and said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. So as if she's grieving, do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning or grieving a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So this is how I want you to speak to King David, Joab is telling her. And so Joab put the words in her mouth, or he told her what to say. In verse four, it says, And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, and she prostrated herself, or she lay herself face down, sign of respect. And she said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant, had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them or separate them. But one of my sons struck the other and killed him. In verse 7, and now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, deliver him who struck his brother. So turn him over to us, in other words, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So deliver that, that one surviving son over to us so we can kill him for killing his brother. And at the same time, we know that he's the heir or he's the person who's going to inherit um, his father's resources or material. And so we'll be killing, uh, you know, uh, was that two birds and one stone? And, and so they would extinguish my ember that is left, or in other words, the only coal that I have left. And they'll leave to my husband neither name nor remnant or survivor on the earth. And so, Joab, remember, is David's army commander. He's also his nephew. And so, he found this wise woman from Tekoa. He sent for her and he instructed her on what to say. He instructed her, first of all, to be a widow who had two sons. And then, of course, he put words in her mouth and told her to share a story that essentially was similar to the situation between Absalom and Amnon, two of David's son. And remember, Amnon is the one who was murdered. And of course, the situation is similar to what David is going through. You know, you had the situation of one brother killing the other brother or, or one son killing the other son. But this story, of course, is going to be different enough, or it is different enough to not cause David to uh, be so suspicious of what's going on. And so in her story that, again, Joab told her to share, uh, this family wanted to put the surviving son to death. And of course, that would leave this widow in this made-up story, that would leave her with a dead husband, of course, plus she wouldn't have any sons. There would be no survivor in her family and, and there would be no one to carry on her dead husband's name in this uh, made-up story here that she shared with David. But the question is, what, what prompted Joab, his army commander, to do this? What prompted him to, to, to go find this woman, to share this made-up story, this fictional story? Well, in verse 1, it tells us that Joab saw that the king was concerned about Absalom. Because remember, Absalom, he, he took off. He escaped. You know, he was on the run for his life. So he went to where his grandfather on his mom's side was living. He went to Gesher on the run. And so Joab saw that King David was concerned about him, that his heart longed for his son, even though he had just murdered his other son. And so, of course, Joab, it would seem, he didn't quite like seeing King David in that situation. And at this point, Absalom had been gone for three years. Three years without seeing his son, Absalom, according to 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 38, if you need a reference. And so this strategy that Joab used is kind of similar to the strategy that Nathan used to open up David's eyes to his life's situation. Because remember, Nathan, the prophet, a couple of chapters before, he used a parable to reveal to David that, hey, man, you're in sin. You committed adultery with Bathsheba and you had her husband, Uriah, killed. And and of course, Nathan told this parable. And and David was, he was harsh in that judgment in this parable that that concerned the rich man taking somebody else's lamb and so forth. And, And so Nathan used that parable to help David see his own situation in his life. And and you see that Joab sort of uses the same thing. He didn't quite use a parable, uh, but he used a fictional, uh, a fictional story here. He, he told this woman to pretend that she was somebody she wasn't to kind of act out the situation, create this fake family story. But I wonder if this is going to work just like it worked for Nathan when Nathan pointed out to David that you are the man. You are the guy who sinned. You are this rich man in that parable in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, I believe. So is this going to work? And so, of course, we're going to find out whether or not this strategy that Joab has is going to work. But, but remember that Joab... Did this. He was prompted to do this because he, he saw that something was wrong with David regarding his son. And, and I just wonder if we are able to discern that something is wrong with the brother or sister in Christ. And, and if we did discern that, are we willing to step in? And, and I'm not saying to use the same strategy that Joab used or the same strategy that even Nathan the prophet used a couple of chapters earlier than this. I'm not saying that, but, but the whole point is, are, are we able to discern when a brother or sister in Christ is concerned about something, when, when their heart is aching? And are we able or willing to step in and help them out to pray with them, to pray for them, to, to offer them counseling or some type of discipling? See, in verse eight, as we continue, it says, then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to take care of this. And in verse 9, it says, And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, Oh, my lord, O king, let the iniquity, or let this guilt be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So so in other words, the, the idea seems to be if you get any pushback from sparing my son's life, the the surviving son's life. If if you get any pushback uh, from that, um, you know, let that guilt be on me and on my father's house, King David. So that's kind of what she's saying in verse nine. And in verse 10, it says, so the king said, whoever says anything to you, whoever threatens you or criticizes you because of this decision that I'm about to make regard to your son and sparing his life, Whoever says anything to you, bring that person to me and he shall not touch or harm you anymore. Then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy anymore, lest they destroy my son. Some of you may be familiar with this concept, this avenger of blood. Those of you who've been reading through the Bible, because, for example, in Numbers 35, 19, you, you can see that this avenger of blood is a relative who was obligated to execute a murderer. And so that's why those other family members in this made-up story wanted to go after the surviving son because he murdered the other brother. He murdered his brother. And so she was referring to that avenger of blood concept there. And again, you can take a look at Numbers chapter 35 to get more details on that. But David said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. And so according to the law, the son in this fictional story, he deserved death for killing the other son. And that's according to Exodus chapter 21, verse 12, and Leviticus chapter uh, 24 verse 17. And technically, by the way, Absalom, David's son, deserved death for the murder of his brother, his half-brother Amnon. And so here again, as he did in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 7, King David, King David is able to see clear enough to, to judge another person's case. See, he knew how to fix this woman's family issues. He knew how to fix the problem in her made-up story, in her made-up family. But he didn't fix his own issue that he had with his son. He was merciful to her. He was merciful to her son, of course, in this fictional story that she presented to him. And so this is time to pause and to really reflect and and really ask ourselves this question because as we study in the bible of course we want to pull out those spiritual nuggets and we want to see where we are and so the question i would ask myself is am am i good at fixing other people's family issues but overlook my own And so maybe that's a question we all should be asking, not maybe, but we should be asking that question as we park here after these verses. And so of course, maybe, maybe you stepped in, maybe you tried to address the issue and it still didn't work out that family member is still doing crazy stuff. So maybe that's the case. It didn't necessarily change their behavior or they didn't necessarily receive the Lord. But at least you stepped in and you tried to address the issue. You didn't turn a blind eye to that. And so I'm not talking about oh, people who actually fixed the issue. Only God can truly fix the issue. But, but I'm, just, I'm just asking us to pause and reflect on this. Have we at least tried to, to address the situation? Using, of course, the word of God and surrendering to the Holy Spirit to allow him to to work through us and, and trying to help this issue. And if and if it still didn't fix it, then then that's on that person. That's that's on those people. They have free will. But the thing is, we want to make sure that that, that we don't turn a blind eye to it. And that we're not better at trying to fix somebody else's stuff than than we are at trying to take care of things in our own homes. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, "Say on." So the woman said, Why then have you schemed or planned such a thing against the people of God? Oh, okay, so now this is that moment. This is that Nathan type of moment. If you remember the parable that, that Nathan shared with David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and he told David, hey, you are that man. You are that rich man who took that man's lamb and you killed it and you fed it to your guests, even though you had a bunch. You are that man, David. This is that you are that man type of moment. And she turned it around on him. And so... It's possible that what she meant by that question is, it is maybe that by you not addressing the issue with Absalom, by you not reconciling with him, maybe she's suggesting that you're putting the people of God, you're, you're putting the nation of Israel in danger because Absalom could possibly grow even more bitter and more hate can well up in his heart and then he'll lash out. That bitterness would just overflow and, and put the people of God in danger. So, so maybe that's a way we can look at that verse. But to continue with that, she says, For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. Again, speaking of Absalom. For we, she continues, will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. So you can picture that. You can see you can you can see this 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 word picture that she's drawing up here. And she says, Yet God does not take away life. At least he does not simply or immediately take away life. But God devises means or He He creates ways. So that his banished ones are not expelled from him, are not separated from him forever. And so this woman seems to be saying that, that all of us are eventually going to die. So in other words, we should, we, we should reconcile with those we need to reconcile with while we have time, while we're, we're still living. Because we all are going to be like water spilled out on the ground one day. We can't be gathered up again. And so get reconciled to whom you need to be reconciled with. And then she proceeds to use God as an example of how David should be and what he should do in regard to reconciling with Absalom. So that's where she brings God in the picture. And, And I just love That she brought God into the picture in regard to the banished ones. See, because God did not leave mankind. He did not leave humans. He did not leave people in a banished state. All of us have an opportunity to be saved. We all have that opportunity. See, sin separated us from God. Jesus became that bridge. He died on the cross in our place, paid the penalty that we deserve so that we won't have to be left in that banished state, so to speak, or separated from God. You see, Jesus was made to be sin for us, the scriptures tell us. In other words, he was made to be a sin offering for us. And because of that, Jesus is what you would call our propitiation. And that's a word, of course, you'll see in the scriptures. He's our propitiation. In other words, Jesus, because of what he did, he satisfied God's wrath, his righteous wrath against sin. He satisfied it. He's our propitiation. And because Jesus is our propitiation. Because he died in our place. He took the penalty we deserve, which is death, which is eternal separation, eternal death. Separated from God. Because because Jesus stood in our place, it allows us, all mankind, all men, all women, all boys, all girls. It allows all of us to receive forgiveness and, and be reconciled to God. It allows us to be in relationship with God, to be reconciled. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice allows us to be forgiven and to be in the right relationship or on friendly terms with God. And so in order for us to appropriate this gift of forgiveness and salvation, we must place our trust are our faith in Jesus Christ. See, you can picture as God having this huge umbrella of forgiveness. And and all mankind has to do is turn around and walk towards the umbrella and stand under the umbrella of forgiveness. But unfortunately, some people decide to, to stand outside of that umbrella of forgiveness and then, of course, if they die in that state without receiving Jesus, then God's wrath is going to rain on them because they're not under that umbrella of forgiveness and salvation that is, un- that is in Jesus Christ. See, all because God did this all because he didn't want to leave us in a banished state and And I just like what the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 and 19. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He allows us to partner with him in his work of sharing the gospel. And letting people know that, that, hey, you don't have to be ext- estranged or you don't have to be banished. You don't have to be separated from God uh, for eternity. You don't, you don't have to do that. You can have a relationship with God. You can be on friendly terms with God. And so he, he not only saves us and reconciles us to himself, but he allows us to partner with him in that work and sharing the gospel. In verse 19, that is that God was in Christ. God, the father was in Christ. God, the son reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So every time we share the gospel, we are sharing the word of reconciliation. We are sharing words that would allow people to be on friendly terms with God, the father through Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful blessing and gift that we are able to pass on to other people as ministers of reconciliation verse 15 now therefore i have come to speak of this thing to my lord the king because the people have made me afraid again this is the woman speaking the people have threatened me and your maidservant said i will now speak to the king it may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God or from what God gave us. Okay, we have to keep in mind, remember, this is a fictional story that Joab told her to share with David. And she's doing a good job of sharing it. She's a good actress. In verse 17, uh, your maidservant said, The word of my Lord, the king will now be comforting for as the angel of God. So is my Lord, the king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God be with you. Then the king, this King David, he answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, please let my Lord, the king speak. And so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king has spoken for your servant, Joab commanded me. And he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. In other words, he told me what to say. I admit it to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant, Joab has done this thing. So so in other words, Joab wanted to change the situation between you and your son, Absalom. And, And so that's why he did this thing. That's why he wanted to address this issue indirectly. But my Lord, in other words, you, King David, you're so wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. And the king, King David, said to Joab, he said to his commander, all right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man, Absalom. And so in addition to Joab observing that King David was longing for Absalom, so he did observe that. Remember in verse 1, he observed his heart was broken for him, that he was concerned about him. So in addition to that, he also wanted to uh, make sure that things were right between both of them. And so Joab here was playing peacemaker. And that just reminds me of something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And so in other words, when we are peacemakers and and these are people who've been born again, I'm not saying that Joab was born again or anything like that, but I'm just taking that idea of him being the peacemaker and, and applying it to what the word of God says we should be like as the children of God. And so when we are peacemakers, instead of causing division, causing strife, you know, stirring the pot for bad instead of doing those things, choosing sides and, and all this crazy stuff that can go on in families and, and in the workplace and in church. So instead of doing that, so when we we're peacemakers, we, we show that we're children of God. And so, in other words, it's not saying that become a peacemaker first and then you'll earn your way into being a child of God. It's not saying that. We, we know that we don't work for salvation. But rather, what Jesus is talking about in those Beatitudes, he's, he's showing characteristics of people who already are children of God. And so a characteristic of a child of God is being a peacemaker And so there's a lot of instances I will say, hey, don't copy Joab. But in this situation, I say this is a good thing for us spiritually. Seek to be a peacemaker. Because then you're going to demonstrate that, yes, you are on God's side. You are in the family of God. Now, in verse 22, it says, then Joab fell to the ground on his face and he bowed himself. And it says here that he thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and he went to Geshur and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but he did not see the king's face. And so although David was concerned for and longed for Absalom, he wasn't ready to be totally reconciled to him. And so this was like a partial forgiveness or whatever the case may be. But he didn't totally forgive him. It wasn't wasn't totally reconciled to him. And as we continue to study 2 Samuel and, and we see Absalom's treason, his betrayal, his rebellion, then we're going to think back on this moment. We're going to think back on this moment of this partial reconciliation, this partial forgiveness where he sent Joab to get Absalom to bring him back to Jerusalem, but then didn't let him see his face. We're going to think back on this, this initial decision that David made. And it just of course, a reminder to us to think about the possible, the, the possible results of certain decisions we may make. And, and hopefully we're doing that. Hopefully we're asking for wisdom from the Lord. Hopefully we're doing that because the Lord, he invites us to do that. He invites us to come to him for wisdom. He said, if we come to him, he won't upbraid us. He'll give us that wisdom. And so think about those decisions first, those possible decisions first. Especially in regards to your children or, or your spouse. Because we, a lot of times we go forward with, our, with the first decision that we thought to make. The results could be devastating. And yeah, we won't see that in this chapter, but we'll, we'll see it soon, Lord willing. But in verse 25, it says now... In all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good works. It says here, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish, there was no flaw in this young man. And when he cut his hair, he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, the weight of his head was at 200 shekels or about four to five pounds according to the kings or the royal standard. Now to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. So he named his daughter after his sister who was raped. And it says that she was a woman of beautiful appearance. And so up to this point, we we only know or we've only learned about Absalom's family. We've only learned about his emotions. We saw that he was angry and he had hatred in his heart for Amnon. We we saw those things as far as his emotions are concerned. And we've also learned about his actions. But for the first time, we see a description of Absalom. He was a good looking young man. He was handsome and he had nice hair. He had a lot of hair. He, he looked as good as 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 you do, who are out there, A lot of good looking folks out there. And so but but the Bible here only describes him outwardly. This was just an outward description of this young man of Absalom. And I just want to share with you and even share with myself, because the word of God is for all of us. And the word of God teaches this. It teaches that our outward appearance should not be the best thing about us. In fact, we should ask, how is our inner man? How, how is our soul? Our, is that coming through? Our new nature, is that coming through? Are, are people seeing the new us in Christ? You know, in talking about or in speaking to wives in first Peter chapter three, verses three and four. It says, do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing the gold or putting on fine apparel. It doesn't say you can't, you know, dress up and look nice or anything, but but don't let it merely be that. Rather, and some folks could overdo it, so you don't want to overdo it either. But but rather in verse four, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so, of course, man looks at that outward appearance. The husband would look at the outward appearance. But, but God sees. He, he sees that incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's precious in his sight. And, of course, the only way people could see it is through your actions. Through, and, of course, through hearing your words. But then in in 2 Corinthians 4, the second half of verse 16, the Bible says that even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Is that something that we can say about us? Yes, we know that all of us, all of our outward man, so to speak, our, our bodies are perishing, our physical bodies are perishing. We all know that. But, but is your inward man being renewed day by day? In other words, are you becoming more like Jesus on a daily basis? And that's how it should be, not just merely the outward appearance. And we continue in verse 28 as it tells us that Absalom, this young man, he dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king but Joab ignored him he would not come to him and when he sent again the second time Joab still didn't come and so he said to his servants see Joab's field field is near mine and he has barley there go and set it on fire and Absalom's servants set the field on fire Then Joab arose and he came to Absalom's house and he said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? You see, I'm not sure why Joab wasn't responding to Absalom in the first place. Maybe Joab was thinking, hey, I brought you here. And and so it's between you two, David and Absalom, to work it out from him. You two hash it out from here. I don't want to be involved. Maybe that was the thought. Or or maybe the explanation is as simple as the order that David gave in verse 24, where David just says, do not let him see my face. And so Joab said, "Okay," he did his part, brought him to Jerusalem and didn't let him see his face. And he took off. So maybe that's why he ignored him. And maybe he didn't tell Absalom that that was the condition that he come back, that that he doesn't see the king's face. So it's been two years at this point. And so it's been a total of five years that King David hasn't seen Absalom because he spent three years in Geshur on the run. Two years back in Jerusalem, didn't see his dad's face. But here we see that Absalom finally got Joab's attention by having his servants put his field on fire. See, one thing about Absalom, this, some people will call him a pretty boy. The the thing about him is that he, he didn't like to do the dirty work. He, he always, you would see, let his servants do the dirty work. Even when he had his brother Amnon killed, he had his servants kill him back in 2 Samuel 13, verses 28 and 29. And here he had his servants do the dirty work again, setting Joab's field on fire just so he could get his attention. When I would submit to you that that's how the devil is, that that's how Satan is. That he, that he would also use some people to do his dirty work. And people are, even today, still doing his dirty work. And so you look at these people that are doing the dirty work and you just see those people as the enemies. You know, you even saw Satan use somebody else in Jesus' first coming to do his dirty work. Remember, he used Judas. He inspired him to carry it out. To carry out the betrayal. See, just like Absalom, the devil works that way as well. But we must not lose sight of who the real enemy is. We're in spiritual warfare. We must not lose sight of that. That that we fight against the spiritual enemy. This spiritual enemy fights against us every single day. And so... You must have on your whole armor, the whole armor of God. In verse 32, it says, And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I I sent to you saying, come here so that I, I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gesher? It will be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is any iniquity, if there's any guilt, in me let him execute me that's a bold statement because we know he was guilty we know he had his brother killed and so i will say this that and i will say this about many of you so i I believe i'm speaking for you as well that that no we definitely don't agree with absalom's methods but but here I personally, I, I do understand this point that, okay, I could have stayed in Gesher if I knew I wasn't going to see the king. Why you bring me here and then I still don't see you for two years? Okay, I understand the point that he's making. Don't agree with his methods. But one thing I love about what he said. He, he, said, I, he said, let me see the king's face. Uh, Many of you today are in the body of Christ. You are a part of the church today because you desire to see the face of Jesus. In other words, you desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You wanted to see the king face, so to speak. You wanted a relationship with the king. And so you are in the body of Christ today because of that. You are the bride of Christ because of that, because you desire to see the king. Or one day we literally will in eternity, and so there's many people, unfortunately, who get somewhere close to the king, just like just like Absalom did. He he was close to the king. He was in the vicinity. He was in Jerusalem, but but he didn't get to see the king. And unfortunately, there there's people who get close, but they're not. All the way there. Oh, there are some people who go to church, but they're not all the way there in relationship with the King of Kings. And I'm speaking about Jesus at this point. And so, in other words, if, if I could add to this a little bit, I would just say, in the words of some people today, I would just say, don't don't just bring a person to church. Don't just bring me to church in that church doesn't talk about Jesus and that, that, that church talks about everything else except for Jesus. They don't allow me to see the king's face. They don't allow me to hear a message that would allow me to have a relationship with the, queen, with the king, but they talk about everything else in the church. So don't just bring me to a church like that. Don't just bring me into the vicinity and don't just tell me that, oh, God just wants you to be blessed. Oh, so just God just wants you to live your blessed life. But you don't tell me how to have a relationship with the king so that I would be able to see the king. Oh, don't just tell me that he has a wonderful plan for my life. But you don't tell me how I can see the king. I, w- I want to see the king. I-, I just love that statement. And in verse 33, it says, so Joab went to the king and he told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and he bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And then the king, King David, he kissed his son. He kissed Absalom. See, David in the past, and you know his story. We we were reminded of that earlier, of his sin with Bathsheba and him killing her husband Uriah. You see, David, this man, he had been forgiven of his sins. And so, of course, it was only right for him to forgive Absalom of his sins. Again, it's been five years of unforgiveness of of him not being reconciled to Absalom. Five years since his other son, Amnon, was murdered. But at this point, you see him kiss him. He, He forgave him. It was only right because he was, once again, forgiven. And what is forgiveness? See, forgiveness in the Bible is a release or a dismissal of something. Again, it's a release or a dismissal of something. Forgiveness involves setting aside anger and it involves giving up the right To exact justice or punishment from an offender. So yes, the person deserves justice. They they deserve punishment. They ought to get what they deserve. But forgiveness is releasing them from that. Just like we as believers, we are released from God's just penalty against sin. For we all have sin and we fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. That that's the consequence of sin. And, it's the, and yes, people die physically. But there are some people who are physically alive and, and they're yet spiritually dead, which means they have no spiritual life in them because they have no relationship with God. And if they die in that state, which means they don't have Jesus when they die, Then there's eternal death, eternal separation from God. See, any time you talk about death, it's talking about separation, physical death, separation of of the soul from the body, spiritual death. Again, you could be physically alive, but if you're spiritually dead, you're separated from God because you don't have a relationship with him. And eternal death, again, you're eternally separated from God in a place called. And I wish more churches would preach about this because Jesus talked about it, but it's a place called hell. The Greek word behind it is Gehenna, the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. You see, we have been released from God's just penalty, those of us who received Jesus, those of us who've repented. But the question is, why should we forgive others? Oh, that, that, that answer is simple and now, I have four points to this, and the first point is that we have forgi- been forgiven by God. It's as simple as that we have been forgiven by God. David was forgiven by God, so yes, it was only right for him to pass on that forgiveness to his son Absalom, even though he had his other brother Abnon killed. And so if we've been forgiven, we should extend that forgiveness to others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says... And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's reason number one. We've been forgiven by God. But here's another reason to forgive. That, That there's no person who is more offended by sin than God is. Yet and still he forgives. This is the creator of the universe, the creator of all life. And yet and still he forgives. Holy God, no blemish, pure, totally separate from everything else, from everyone else. And his attributes and his character, his essence. And yet and still he forgives. Didn't ha- doesn't have to, but he does. He's a merciful God and forgiveness is an extension of mercy. And if God can forgive, guess what? We we should forgive because we're not better than God. But reason number three is that forgiving others frees us from things that weigh us down emotionally and spiritually. And you can probably add mentally. It frees us from these things because as long as we remain in the state of not forgiving others who have offended us. Then we are saddled down. We are weighed down by anger. We are weighed down by bitterness, for example. And so forgiving others, it sets us free from these things that weigh us down emotionally and spiritually. And like I said, probably even mentally. And so unforgiveness essentially hurts us more than it hurts that person who offended us. But the fourth reason we should forgive others is that it ensures our fellowship with our heavenly father remains strong. It ensures that our fellowship with God, the father, remains strong. Remember in the model prayer that Jesus shared with his disciples, forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Just paraphrasing who sinned against us. Forgive us. And Matthew 6, 14 kind of touches on that because that line and that model prayer is in Matthew 6, 12, but, but in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it expounds on verse 12 of Matthew 6. It says, for if you forgive men, people, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men or people, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So so what is that saying? Is that telling me that I must forgive first in order to earn forgiveness? That I need to forgive first in order to earn salvation? No, it's not saying that. Because the people that he's talking to is already in relationship with the father. So the, these people are already children of God. How do I know? Because it says you father. You can only call him your father if you're in a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus. And so he's speaking to believers. So, so what happens when we don't forgive others who offend us even as believers? people who are already in a relationship with God, what will happen is it will hinder our fellowship with him. And so possibly our our prayers could be hindered. We're not in step with God. And so remember this, that the forgiveness of sins, remember that's applied to us when we repent and put our faith in Christ. And so again, we don't work first or forgive first in order for God to Add that to us. It's available to all. We receive it by faith, right? But again, this is talking about maintaining a healthy fellowship with God. And as long as you're not in healthy fellowship with God, you're not walking step in step with God as a believer, then then you're going to be stunted in your spiritual growth. You're going to be weighed down even emotionally and mentally. And so how can you... Expect God to forgive us. How can I uh, expect God to forgive me and to help me to maintain that healthy fellowship with him if I'm not extending forgiveness to others? And so I wonder tonight, because some of your brains are probably, your minds are probably Wondering right now, and you're probably thinking of people to forgive. You're probably thinking of maybe someone or some people right now that, that you never forgiven. Oh, you're bitter towards them. Some of you have almost allowed that to get to the point of, of, of hatred for that person. And, and so, who is it you need? To forgive today. Who is that person? In other words, let me, let me put it this way. When, when that person's name is mentioned, who gets your heart racing? When, when that thought about that individual comes up. Or who makes you angry all over again? Oh yes, you're going to remember some stuff. You're going to remember the past. But as you remember that, does it it bring up those old feelings of of anger? And I hate to say bitterness and, and maybe almost that hatred for that person. Wanted to see that person pounded to the ground. Or maybe you want to pound them yourself. So who is it you need to forgive today? And I will say this, maybe you're in that place where... Pastor Darrell, I know who that person is, and I've been trying to forgive them for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Maybe you're at that point. I've been trying. I, I know the issue, but I've been trying, and it's not working. But, but have you allowed God to enter into that picture? Have, have you allowed God to, to work out his will in you and through you? Have you allowed him to work out forgiving that person through you? You have the Holy Spirit in you as a believer. And so you have the power. You have the source of power in you, the Holy Spirit. But are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to work that forgiveness through you to where you're just not saying it? To where it's something that's really done in your heart. And you know it. Because the next time somebody reminds you of that situation or that person's name come up, that, that same anger doesn't come up anymore as the worship team takes the stage. That same thought of violence towards that person doesn't come up anymore. You, you know you've gotten past it when you can get to that point. But I also want to leave you with this. As you meditate upon that, as you pray, About that, I also want to leave you with this. That not only do we have plenty of reasons to forgive others, and and God can obviously work that through us. He can empower us to do that. But the blessing is, in regard to this topic of forgiveness, is that like Joab, we can also be used by God to bring people to the king so that they too can receive forgiveness for salvation. That's a blessing of this topic as well. That God was use us to take people to the king so that they can experience forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Lord, if we sin today, We pray for forgiveness. If there's any sin we haven't repented of, we haven't confessed to you, we ask that you will bring that to our attention. And also, Lord, if there's there's someone we haven't forgiven, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to forgive. Lord, we desire it. And we know that that's your will. And if we surrender, it's going to be done. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name.